We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of Fielding the 68. That's right, folks. It's the only bracketology-specific show on the internet, and we have got a heck of a show for you today with the top 16 reveal coming from the NCAA Tournament Committee tomorrow. Here to help me, Jim Root, your host, out with that, we've got Andy Bottoms from the Assembly Call podcast, also the bracketologist from Inside the Hall, and Rocco Miller from bracketeer.org. We're going to hash through our own top 16 reveal See how close it ends up being to the committees. We're going to present it that way, go through the regions. And then, of course, we'll get to the bubble discussion. Lots going on in that department. Fellas, before we start giving that reveal, before we get into region by region, I want to ask you, Rocco, what is something you've taken away from the reveals in the past where maybe they show, they tip their hand a little that they're looking at a certain metric or a certain kind of team? Has there anything you've seen over the years that you can actually take away as you work on your projections going forward? It, it, nothing, nothing directly, uh, but there are, have been some overall observations, Jim. I would say, uh, it, I think the very first year they did the reveal, this might be the fourth or fifth year this year, uh, it was very clear out of the top 16 they revealed, 13 of those 16 actually made it into the actual top 16 a month later in March. And the three that dropped out were very clear. They All three of them went on three or four game losing streaks. It was obvious they weren't going to be top four seeds um and then in following years they actually brought it up a weekend to the second weekend of february um and that gave us an extra week to digest data so it didn't come together as neatly and cleanly now here we are again doing it the third week of february and uh, march madness selection sunday um is a, is a little bit sooner uh, it's uh, coming up march 13th so I do think this year might actually correlate the most with that first year, just with the amount of time we have left. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. We also have a pretty clear top 16, and Andy and I's opinion, we'll get to that, um, uh, heading into the show. So we'll see how it all plays out. That's just one element. Uh, but I think the other fascinating part is to compare teams, uh, maybe like a Tennessee or a Houston, or now this year a UCLA, who has only played a handful of tournament teams. How does the committee – uh, stack rank them against each other. And one of the neat things they've done in the reveal the last couple of years, Jim, is they'll actually give us the, the straight up one through 16, not just the one, two, three, and four. So for bracketologists like us, it gives us a lot of insight. Um, it makes a big difference to us if they have UCLA above 
Baylor, below Baylor, above Tennessee, below Tennessee, that type of thing. Yeah, we like to see. They they tip their hand on that. You're like, oh, interesting. I've been debating Team A and Team B, and they tell me that Team A is ahead. Well, okay, maybe they're waiting certain uh, metric a little bit. And I think we got to tip our caps to the NFL for pushing this reveal back. As the Super Bowl moves back, That's right. the reveal moves back. <laughs> Eventually, it's going to be like the first weekend of March, and we're going to have one week between the reveal and Selection Sunday. I could see it happening. Uh, but Andy, as we look forward to the reveal tomorrow morning, I, I know we said we we feel like we've got a pretty solid 16. Uh, you, you and Rocco discussed it and seemed pretty set on it. But is there any team that maybe you're looking to to see if they'll tip their hand on, whether it's, uh, I think we mentioned pre-show, Oh, if St. Mary's sneaks in there, maybe we we find out that they're really weighting predictive metrics or something. What 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 are you looking to see? Is there anything that you might get a little uh, a reveal from the committee tomorrow? Yeah, I think it's those kinds of teams where maybe there's a disconnect between what the predictive metrics say and and what when you look at wins against the field and things like that show. So Houston is one uh, for sure. I think they end up on the one line. I don't think that will be surprising at all, but where they end up on the one line, I think will be somewhat telling, I, you know, yes. there's an argument to be made that uh, I think I had them as my fourth. There's certainly an argument to be made. They could be anywhere on, on the one line. Um, I don't know that I would agree, but with putting them at the top overall seed, but if, if you really weighted some of those things, you'd say, you know, maybe that's a, a possibility. So kind of seeing where they fit in the pecking order of the one seeds will be interesting uh, Rocco mentioned UCLA. I think that's another one where, you know, you watch them play. Everything you think about them suggests they're they're one of the best teams in the country. But when you really get down to the resume, it's a little light on the you know really top end wins. And um, so, how do they view them? They seem to be to me pretty firmly on the two line. But if they're not, when the committee looks at it, um, that's somewhat reflective of what you could think about going forward because they don't have a ton of chances to really change those those aspects of their uh of their profile and then st mary's if, if you look at a team that uh would potentially be outside of our consensus top 16 really high net really high predictives uh although those have come down a little bit of late you know where do they really fall in the pecking order for, for me they're kind of firmly on the five line uh, but if you if you look at some of those things um, you know, does the committee really take their their quality metrics into account? Which again, those have dropped off a little bit, so that's probably a little bit less of a compelling argument now than maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. But uh, but those are the ones that I'm kind of interested to see. Uh, and then what they do with the Big Twelve, uh, you've got a handful of teams, particularly like Kansas State and Iowa State. I think you when you look at Kansas and Texas, it seems fairly straightforward where they slot in. But Kansas State, Iowa State, do they? You know, do they both end up as fours? Uh, and and if not, I think they're fairly close uh, on most people's seed lists. So how does the committee uh, evaluate those teams? And does a non-conference strict the schedule of a team like Kansas State come into account and, and maybe bump them a little bit lower than people might expect? Yeah, the Big 12 is tricky this year because typically there's a rule that the top four teams from each conference have to be separated if they're in the top 16. Well, we should and we expect to see five Big 12 teams in there so you'll get two Big 12 teams in a region just by necessity. You can't put five teams in four regions without having a double up. That's the way it works. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're excited to see what the committee does. I always try to you know overthink what they present us and, and play it all throughout the rest of my bracket as I'm doing eight and nine seeds, like what they tell me in the two and three seeds. And it doesn't always work that way, but it at least gives us that experiment. So without further ado, let's let's get to our bracket reveal. We are going to start with the South region. 
maybe no surprise to anybody to see who the number one seed is here. That would be Alabama, number one overall seed in our bracket. This is our consensus, by the way. It's consensus South region, Alabama one, Baylor the two seed, UConn at the three seed, and Kansas State at the four. I'll start with you, Andy. Was Alabama the clear number one to you that you wanted to slot up there, or was there a lot going on as you tried to rank these one seeds? Uh, the I think as I've been, it's been a little bit since I've been on, uh, and, and I think we talked about at least in one of the shows that I've done so far that it seemed like there was a gap between uh, Alabama, Purdue, and then the rest of the one seeds. Uh, I would no longer make that statement uh, <laughs> with with how they've played. The fact that Kansas has played so well of late and Houston has kept on winning. Again, to go back to the you know the prior point, not not maybe as many high end victories uh, from a name recognition standpoint, but at least um, the metrics really like them. So that that has gotten pretty tight. I think the top four teams are uh, relatively straightforward as we talked about, but I do think the the separation between those is a lot less than what it once was, and I think that's another part of what the committee's reveal will tell us is kind of what the the order of those teams in uh, will be a bit enlightening as well. Rocco, let me ask you about UConn, a team that did a lot of their best work back in November. And I think maybe people have forgotten how important that is to their profile at this stage. How comfortable do you feel with them at a three seed versus a four? Maybe some of the the recency bias could filter in there. Three versus four with UConn, where are you at? They, they were certainly in the running for me for the last three seed, but I, I ended up going with a different team from the same conference, the team that's actually in first place. Um, not, not that that means a lot for this exercise, but Marquette, um, I, I just barely went with, um, UConn certainly has the, the merit. They're my clean number 13 team, so the best four seed. So I don't have a big issue with them being on the three line. Um, I mean, the things to like are their, their metrics and obviously the Alabama and Iowa state wins on neutral courts. Um, and both of those being in Portland, uh, four quad one, a wins. And, you know, the thing I question about UConn is they played seven meaningful road games, uh, true road games, and just two and five in those contests, um, whereas Marquette's three and four in similar type of games and uh, everything else being equal. Marquette doesn't have a bad loss. UConn has a home loss to St. John's. Um, so, again, a lot it, you have to get into the weeds to really make a decision between those two. I would even throw uh, Kansas State and some of those types of teams in that a comparison too, and it, it's it, it takes a lot of deep thinking, but I I go with Marquette today. Kansas State's an interesting one, I think, down at the four spot where you can compare them with Iowa State, and we'll probably get to that as we reveal where we have Iowa State slotted coming up. Uh, Andy mentioned the order of the one seeds, and it's especially important for a team like Kansas, who we're going to get to now with the Midwest region. Kansas wants to be ahead of Purdue because they can get that Kansas City region and going to feel really good about their path to the final four. So we're showing our, our Midwest region now. That is Kansas at the one seed, UCLA at two, Tennessee three, and Gonzaga at four. Pretty stacked region here. Rocco, go to you first. Like it, When you looked at Kansas and how well they're playing lately, was it automatic that they got that KC region, or how much was the, the tug of war between your mind of putting Purdue there versus Kansas? Yeah, so the, the way the process works is you got to build the seed list first, then you go to the bracket at the end. So the building the seed list, you're just you're you're not paying attention to cities or regions. You're just basically comparing teams and stack ranking them um, in the way you want. Now, the way the actual committee does it is a voting process. Uh, it's a, a tabulated process. So you would take basically the top eight teams out there, 
and you would vote, vote one through four, who are your one seeds, and then you'd stack rank that. Um, the way I would stack rank it is the way we have it. Kansas as the second overall. I think they went out over Purdue right now for a variety of reasons. Um, you, you, we'll start with wins against the field. Nobody has more than Kansas with 12, uh, and that's the projected field that I have. So a couple of bubble wins like Wisconsin mixed in there. But, but again, whether it's 10, 11, or 12, it's a lot, and it's uh, the highest in the country. Uh, Purdue at eight, and then you look at what they've done away from home. Uh, Kansas has won at Missouri, at Oklahoma State, at Kentucky, at West Virginia. Really, Purdue only has Michigan State. That's a tournament team. That's a road win. Um, and, you know, Purdue's uh, big, biggest boast away from home are the neutral court wins against Gonzaga, Duke, and West Virginia. Very nice wins, but it's not the same as going into somebody's building and doing it. Then you look at the upper half of Q1, which is a big deal for this part of the selection process at the very top. Uh, Kansas has five of those bad boys, and uh, Purdue has four. So, Again, Kansas just seems to be nipping them in kind of all the key areas right now. Uh, then you go down the list. The only real thing Purdue has going for them in the comparison is one less loss overall. But Kansas has a much, much difficult, more difficult schedule. So, um, again, even that can be justified. So I think it's clear Kansas, it should be number two. And then in terms of your geography question, Jim, which, which I love, uh, it's my favorite part of the process, actually. Um, as long as Kansas stays ahead of either one of Alabama or Purdue, um, because both Alabama and Purdue prefer, prefer Louisville. Um, so all Kansas would need to do is stay ahead of one of the two, and they'll get Kansas City. Um, now, Houston is the wild card there. If somehow Houston clearly plays their way above Kansas, that might require another Kansas loss or two uh, just because of Houston's schedule. Um, Houston would also prefer Kansas City. So uh, I, I think if it's really close, like now, uh, even though Kansas probably sh should have it either way, um, the committee would probably just – put Kansas in their backyard, send Houston to Vegas. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it breaks down today. Yeah. Uh, Andy, we just, we saw UCLA there, the two seed uh, mentioned how tough it is to figure them out right now and, and bracket them because of the lack of really high end Q1 wins. The PAC 12 just doesn't present many of those opportunities. How much does it matter that they're the only team in the country that's won at Maryland? Like that, that is, it's something specific like that, where a lot of teams have gone there, not been able to come away with the win, and UCLA just thoroughly dominated them. How much does that play up in, in their profile when usually you're just seeing numbers, but you know in your head that win means a lot? Uh, yeah, for their sake, hopefully a lot, because that's the only win they have right now over a team that's safely in the field. Uh, they do have the neutral court win over Kentucky. They've beaten USC, who's in the mix uh, as well, but both of those are you know bubble teams at this point, so that win at Maryland by almost 30 points is one that you can really hang your hat on. And, and really outside of hosting Arizona to close the season out, it, you know, they, there's not a lot left for them to do other than continue winning. They do have the mountain road trip against Utah and, and Colorado coming up next week. So that won't be easy, but if you're a two seed caliber team, those are games that you, you need to win uh, and then closing out the season at home against Arizona. So I think, in some ways, the best thing that can happen for them is that they they make sure they play Arizona again in the Pac-12 championship game uh, because it'd give them another chance to, to prove that. But if you look at them from a metric standpoint, quality metrics are really good. Uh, the resume metrics are in the top 10 as well when you average it out. So uh, a lot of good things there. No bad losses. I mean, their only losses came on neutral courts to Baylor and Illinois and then on the road against Arizona and USC. So nothing to feel bad about there in comparison to other teams. Just not the same high-end quality. So uh, they, they should certainly hope and play up the fact that they are the one team to win at Maryland at this point. Yes. Rocco, quick Tennessee question, because yeah. they lost twice on buzzer beaters over the past 10 days. 
are they two missed buzzer beaters away from being a one seed maybe like how much do those you know the sliding doors moment of those two shots how much did that change the outlook for tennessee i mean i think they'd probably be in the one seed discussion i mean that would knock them down to just four losses instead of six so as a just a totality thing obviously the wins would help a lot too um but again i think tennessee's in, a, in an interesting spot because um you know the things like the net and all the predictives that are on the team sheet they care about the final score quite a bit. And so if you lose by one, it's a lot better than losing by 15 or more, um, which happens to a chunk of teams. So um, Tennessee stays in the mix with some of that. They've actually acquired um, a couple wins against the field in the last week or two since we last discussed it. And, um, you know, a Mississippi State win they got a long time ago now shows up as a win against the field that they didn't have two weeks ago. So they've, they've kind of like come together. I remember a couple weeks ago, they only had four wins against the field. Now they have double that. They have eight. They also have, more showing up in the top half of quad one thanks to that maryland uh that's a team benefiting from the maryland uh result uh they beat maryland on a neutral court um so again for me i I know we'll have tennessee on the three line today but um for me they're still a two i I had them just barely above texas actually um and texas took a loss to texas tech had to reevaluate them and they lost just a little bit of the tiebreaker there with uh, tennessee and baylor for me yeah, the and then they've got Tennessee head-to-head that, result too. Yeah, yeah, Tennessee's a right. lot like UConn. Some of the things that that Rocco said in terms of a real marquee road win, they did win at Mississippi State, but otherwise their next best true road win is against Ole Miss. Now they can change that. They've got road games left at Kentucky, at A and M, and at Auburn over their final five games of the season. So if they perform well there, that's another thing that could propel them back, you know, up a seed line uh, as well. Yeah, that's kind of the ideal schedule for Absolutely. bracketology. It's hard to really lose ground with those types of games, but you can really, really gain it. All right, let's go to our third region here. That would be the East, which is headlined by the Boilermakers of Purdue. These are headed to New York City for the regional. Purdue is the one seed. Texas is the two here. Virginia, the three. And Xavier, the X, the Muskies, they are the four seed. All right, let's talk. We can, we've kind of touched on a couple of these teams but Andy, you are the Indiana expert, the Big Ten whisperer here. So we're going to give you a little bit of Purdue discussion points here. What do they need to do to stabilize this right now? They've got three of the four games at home down the stretch. Is it just a matter of, look, win out and you're a lock for a one seed? Uh, I, I would say yes. They've got Ohio State uh, or the corpse of Ohio State at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then they got IU. They go to Wisconsin and then finish at home against Illinois. I, I think it, those are all games it feels like they should win was you know playing at the Cole center is always difficult but uh if, if they can kind of right the ship a little bit you get a couple high-end wins there and a quality road win if you go four and uh down the stretch and and yeah i think that would would all but lock them in uh no matter what would happen in the big 10 tournament so i, I think they're at least in a good position right now to be able to uh, to stabilize things and, and maybe get a little momentum as you head toward the postseason after a, a rough couple weeks is the number one overall seed still in the possibility range for them? I, I certainly would would say so. Uh, the challenge that they have is they're behind Alabama right now, and Alabama's schedule comparatively is not it, – well, not comparative to Purdue, but just as you look at the other one seeds, is not all that difficult. They've got three home games, um, although you know, do face Arkansas and Auburn in two of those. They go two – and then two road games are at South Carolina, and they finish at Texas A&M. Um, so that's one that can help them a little bit. It may be a difficult spot, but, uh, I would say both of those have, you know, relatively favorable schedules, uh, not quite like the, the gauntlet that Kansas still has or any big 12 team for that matter. So I think there's a chance that given who Kansas plays, if Purdue performs well, they could leapfrog them. Um, 
I think it's in play to potentially leapfrog Alabama, but they need a little bit of help in, in that scenario. All right, so I don't think there's going to be much debate around Texas being in this group. Virginia, too, they're, they're atop the ACC. Rocco, let's talk Xavier, because I think maybe there could be pushback. Why did they make the top 16 over somebody like Creighton or St. Mary's? What is it about the X-Men? Uh, let's basically make the case for them. Tell the folks why Xavier has a top 16 profile right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it is close. They're, they are trending towards that 16 area overall. Uh, but I, I, I like the sweep over UConn. Obviously, with UConn being a powerful profile team, bracketology maybe not powerful in the Big East standings, but that doesn't matter in this case. Uh, we're looking at the body of work. Um, a sweep over UConn is very meaningful. Uh, it's a great road win to anchor with at the top of 1A uh, for an otherwise uh, pretty good road effort from the from the Muskies. Four and three in their seven hardest road games, six and six overall in road neutral, and they played in a very tough MTE, uh, the Phil Knight event, and got a win against uh, West Virginia while there, uh, which is significant as well. So I think all of that, you know, when compared – the, the next closest team I had outside of the 16 uh, was Miami. Uh, and that was one of the things I did compare. Uh, again, the Muskies, just a, a much stronger road resume. And, uh, and again, winning out on a lot of these uh, really important areas that uh, tells the committee what you can do away from home. Obviously, Xavier has a lot of great wins at home already on top of that. Um, the things you don't like are the losses at DePaul and at Butler, but at least they were road losses. And it's from a team that's already demonstrated the ability to win big road games. So it's less concerning than a team that might not have uh, the evidence there. Like, like Xavier actually does. Yeah. It, it, there's, there's strong, strong work there. And I think the road thing matters. Uh, I know the, the top four in the big East are 30 and zero at home in league play, but getting win at UConn, the, that fifth team or fifth or sixth team, that, that is very, very meaningful for them. All right. So anyone playing, you know, kind of a process of elimination, you probably somewhat figured out what the final regional is. That would <laughs> be hits. West. The West in Vegas, led by Houston, the tournament heading to Vegas for the first time. How about that? Houston, the one seed out West. Arizona, the two seed. So that's tough for Houston. You get kind of a geographical geographical disadvantage in a potential regional final. Marquette, the three seed, and Iowa State slotting in there at four. Andy, let's talk Houston. Uh, They are difficult to figure out. Is there a world where... Maybe it'd be better, or if Houston had their choice, they would say, let, let us be the two in the South rather than the one in the West. Do, do you think that's something that should matter for teams? I think you always would feel, feels like you would always really want the advantage that's built into being a one seed in terms of what your your path is uh, outside of that. Those, you know, if you're looking ahead to the Arizona game, and in this case, that that's kind of the the genesis of your question, you both have to win enough to get there for that to really to matter. And and you, you want to give yourself the best chance you can to take that path and, and make it there. And I don't think it would probably be one thing if, if maybe if the, the South region was in Texas somewhere that that might make a little bit more difference of, you know, maybe it is worth it to be that much closer to home. Um, you know, Kansas city is geographically, geographically closer, but you know, not quite as much the home court that you'd you'd probably have if, if it was being played and even in Dallas, say, uh, even though that's not you know that close to Houston, but at least you're you know kind of in state and some of those things. So I I think you still want to get the highest seed you can because in theory it gives you the easiest path to uh, to get to the final four and and get to those later rounds where maybe you're at a disadvantage there, but maybe Arizona, who has uh, certainly shown an ability to lose to teams they that it seems like they shouldn't lose to over the course of the season, they might be able to uh, to overcome that. 
Yeah, and if you want a little home court advantage, Houston, just make the Final Four. You get to play at home. There you go. You'll, you'll be yeah. just fine tucked down into Houston there. All right, Rocco, further down there in that list, we've got Iowa State uh, team from the Big 12 that was reeling a little bit, but they got right at home against a shorthanded TCU team. How close are they to falling out of this top 16, or are they still relatively comfortable at a four seed? Yeah, I, I had them right on the right on the edge, Jim. Uh, 16th overall for me. And the big part of that is um, uh, their overall road record at four and seven. Uh, away neutral total is four and seven, but they're two and six and they're eight toughest. And out of those two wins uh, that are significant, um, only TCU's in the field. Uh, so I like the fact that they have some of the things you like about teams from other leagues, like the abundance of uh, wins against the field, uh, just total wins against Q1, that type of thing. When it's a Big 12 team, you have to look at it a little bit differently, in my opinion, because they just get opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And right now, they have seven wins against the field. Uh, they're eight and seven against the Q1 column. Um, they're just 11 and eight against all top three because they don't play top uh, quad two or quad three games. Uh, and so they're they're in this position where, you know, they're, they're slightly above average for Big 12 caliber. Um, they don't have the big road wins at the, the teams we've mentioned before. They don't have one at Texas or Baylor or Kansas State or Kansas. Um, once they get one of those, they'll be solidly in this 16. But I think some of those doubts in the in the losing road records um, really have me kind of searching for another answer. But they were still the best option left. So I, I stuck with the Cyclones. Yep, they have not won a road game since January 7th. It's been a while for them. Yeah, they go they go to K-State this weekend. They've certainly got a chance to uh, to, to firm things up there. Yeah, they yeah, still go to a... Texas and Baylor as well. So uh, <laughs> certainly <laughs> if you can win one of those, it it, it really changes emphatically it. It emphatically yeah. changes things. But uh, it, it's not too hard to tell yourself a story where they lose all three of those games either. Yeah. All right, real quick, let's talk teams that just missed. Uh, Rocco, I know you mentioned Miami. I'm going to let you talk Hurricanes in a second. But Andy, I want to kick it to you. Who else was right in the discussion and why was it Indiana? <laughs> uh, I think had they uh, – had they shown up and uh and played for you know maybe the first 20 minutes of the game against northwestern the other night and won that game i think there's a a a fairly good argument for them it's a little bit difficult when you look at uh the injuries they've had with xavier johnson being out so long race thompson been kind of in and out of the lineup jordan geronimo not uh not a uh, not a starter by any means but he's been in and out a little bit um but you know they had really done some impressive work and i think it poised themselves to be able to take advantage of teams in front of them losing like an Iowa state, but uh, you know, really just uh, you know, final, final call of the game, notwithstanding didn't play well enough in other parts of the game and didn't take advantage of opportunities well enough to really do that. So I think they would have had a far more compelling argument. Miami was really the other one that I, I truly did look at. Um, I think maybe had St. Mary's been a bit more impressive lately and the metrics had stayed up quite as high as they, they were before. Um, maybe there's an argument to be made there, but I think um you know, with their, their recent loss, probably easy to kind of kick them, you know, a little bit more of a gap between them and the, the top four seeds. So Miami was really the only other one that I considered. Creighton would be the other one, theoretically. Uh, they remain a, a bit of a tough team to figure out with the call for inner injury and, uh, you know, certainly have played well since he's been back. The quality metrics love him, uh, and rightfully so. So that, that'd that be an interesting one. I mean, if they slip in there tomorrow when they do that, it'll be uh, you know, certainly something that, that reveals that the committee is, is putting a lot of weight in those, uh, in those predictive metrics. 
Uh, and yeah. and would make us all be like, oh, they're looking at injuries. They're they're totally factoring <laughs> those in. We've got to yep. we've got to do that up and down the bracket and make sure we we yep. take and care of that. Just drive yourself crazy. Yep, just get ready. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so yeah, Indiana, we think right there. St. Mary's, Creighton, sort of in that discussion. Rocco, what was it about Miami that had them just outside of this group, and, and how can they fix that? Yeah, I mean, I've got them right in that cluster. Uh, it, for me, it was three teams for two spots. Xavier, we talked about. Iowa State, we talked about. Now Miami, you know, uh, the, let's start with the pros. The things I really like about Miami is basically 500 or above in all the key categories. They're six, um, they have six games in the top two quadrants on the road, three and three in those games, uh, seven and five overall in the away neutral, which is obviously much stronger than both Xavier and Iowa State. Uh, their resume metric, which is kind of like for me an insurance uh, an insurance policy uh, to to validate, you know, maybe they belong here, maybe they don't. They're 12th, which uh, the resume people are telling us they maybe even belong to be as high as a three. Uh, but then you have of, always have to look at uh, the teams they've actually beaten. And so the road win at UNC, uh, despite UNC being an extreme bubble team right now, uh, that's a very tough place to win. Only two teams have won there. They're the only team that's won there handily. Uh, as their other loss was pit by one point. Um, and the neutral win over Providence obviously matters. Uh, but besides that, uh, unfortunately, you know, the other four games against the field were all in Coral Gables. Uh, they have no wins now registering in, in 1A, which is kind of like a silly asterisk because Virginia is number 16. That's still a really good win. Um, but, but again, those are just some of the little things that they're missing from the profile. And uh, Iowa State and Xavier have those in, in not only one or two, they have – you know, four each. So that just was the the little tip of the scale for me to keep them out. Yep. They're, they're right there. They're very close. They're right there. Very much potential to get there. Uh, we, St. Mary's, I forgot. I want to, I wanted to poke fun at them. If you don't score a basket for the final 10 minutes against one of the worst defenses in basketball, you don't get to be in the top 16 reveal. Sorry, Gail. <laughs> really, happened? really staggering effort last night against San Diego. Yeah. And Jim, right. I did want to throw out while we're on the topic. I know you, you asked Andy, um, which, which other teams should we maybe watch oh, out yeah, for? Yeah. Um, here's, a, here's a sleeper, and I don't think it's going to happen, but I, there's a case to be made, I guess. Uh, the Northwestern Wildcats. Um, mm. Again, they're 8-4 and four in Q1. So, again, we have to keep in mind, fellas, this is a committee of 12 strangers looking at the same information we're looking at and trying to come to a joint decision. If we just happen to have 12 guys that love the Q1 column or they actually like road wins, uh, things that I like seven and three away neutral five five and two in top two quad road appearances obviously a sweep of Indiana uh, a sweep of Wisconsin a road win at Sparty um, you know it's it's an interesting very interesting profile the things that say no way in hell uh, are the 42 in the net uh, the 284th ranked non-conference schedule and uh, predictive metrics that say they're way out of bounds as well. Uh, but anyway, just something to keep in mind if, if for some crazy reason we get Northwestern on the board. Yeah, where if they emphasize those certain things that are strong yeah. in Northwestern's profile, it, it could definitely happen. All right, that's a top 16 reveal. Obviously, you've got our one seeds there. That's a typical segment here on the show. We do have to get to the bubble, though. And before we get into any of your last four in, we're going to go one by one, Rocco, Andy, and the consensus – but then for the first four out, we have the same. Andy, Rocco, consensus, all ended up the same first four out. So that's going to be a quick segment. We'll get through that relatively uh, fast. But let's start by talking last four teams in. Andy, I'll go to you first here. Who did you have as your last four in? 
Yeah, so I had, uh, I'm trying to get the, make sure I got the right order here. Uh, so I had Kentucky, Wisconsin, Mississippi State, and USC. Uh, and so Kentucky keeps kind of flip-flopping which side of this line uh, they're on. The win this week at Mississippi State was was certainly helpful. And when you look at the teams around them, their quality metrics are tend to be on the on the better side of the other bubble teams and their resume metrics actually tend to be on the better side of the teams that are uh, around them of these four they they're they average out the top in, in both of those uh, but you know the reality is still is they're two and seven in in quad one uh, they've got that south carolina loss um five and six road neutral is not terrible but not great um the tennessee win the mississippi state win you know really their two best wins uh, have both come on the road, which I think is is helpful. And you look ahead to their schedule. They got Tennessee coming into Rupp Arena over the weekend. That becomes a huge game for them. Uh, they go to Florida, who's going to be uh, presumably without Colin Castleton. So that helps uh, in that matchup a little bit. And then they host Auburn in their next three. So some chances to get at least a little bit of breathing room as they go forward uh, through that process. Wisconsin, uh, again, feels like we talk about them every week on here. The net says no. Uh, the number of, of Q1, Q2 wins says maybe. And then you kind of look at them and, and they, they've done enough, it feels like, to, uh, to be able to get in. Uh, they've got uh, a couple home games coming up against Rutgers and Iowa. Uh, if they can win those, I think that uh, you know, propels them, at least gives them another couple quality wins, even though they're at home. Uh, Mississippi State is, uh, you know, even with that loss to Kentucky, Still right there in the mix, uh, have the win over Marquette on a neutral floor, one at Arkansas, uh, and, and knocked off TCU and Missouri at home. So a good quartet of wins there. Uh, the resume metrics are right around 50th on average, uh, winning road, road neutral record at seven and five. So uh, not too bad there. They, they go to Ole Miss, to Missouri coming up next uh, before a couple home games. So uh, can't really afford to slip up, certainly at, at Ole Miss. Uh, over the weekend, and then USC was the last team that I had in. Uh, you know, beating Cal last night was uh, expected, so that really didn't move the needle a whole lot. Uh, it was just liking them a little bit better than some of the teams on the other side of the cut line. They've got those two Q3 losses uh, to Florida Gulf Coast and Oregon State, which is certainly enough to try to help you talk yourself out of them if you wanted to. Um, but they did beat UCLA and Auburn. Uh, and have won at Arizona State, which which helps a little bit. But you know, most of their good wins have come at home. Uh, don't have a huge chance to change that. They do go to Colorado and to Utah next weekend. I think those become huge games for them, assuming they don't slip up against Stanford. And then they host the Arizona schools to close things out. So uh, I think we'll know pretty well one way or the other whether they're going to be in or not by the end of that run because um, there's, there's a couple they really can't afford to lose and a couple that would that would help them a lot uh, in terms of, of – filling in some of the gaps in their profile as it currently sits. Yeah, that mountain trip, always, always dangerous. Uh, and then Rocco, what about your uh, uh, last four in? We'll focus on any differences from Andy's, and then we'll get to uh, the first four out. So who did you have? Yeah, so my order for for in, in order of uh, how far in they were is Wisconsin, followed by West Virginia, followed by USC, followed by Mississippi State. Um, so I, I, did, I do think Andy probably had – West Virginia a little safer than me, so I'll talk about the Mountaineers. Um, some big concerns on my end. Um, <clears throat> we'll start with the road damage. There isn't there isn't a whole lot. Uh, luckily, Pitt is winning the ACC. Of course, that was a great win. They beat them by 20-plus. Um, but then outside of that, their next best road wins Texas Tech. 
And outside of that, they don't have anything in the, at all um, uh, in terms of the top two quadrants. So they're sitting, sitting here with an away neutral record of four and eight, um, which means they win one third of their games away from West Virginia. To me, that's a huge concern. Um, you look at their overall record in terms of Q1, they've had 16 cracks at Q1 games. They've won five. Okay, that's nice. They collected Iowa State, TCU, Auburn wins at home, all significant. But again, when you get 16 chances, you probably should win that amount if you're a decent team. And you go into the next um, category of quad 2A. They only get one more win there, so they're still 6-11. and 11. You go to all to Q2, they're 8-11. and 11. And then all of Q3, they're 9-11. and 11. So if you eliminate Q4, they're uh, two games under 500 team. Um, you know, if they didn't have the metrics to kind of back up their, their big wins, um, it'd be really easy to leave them out entirely. Uh, but their metrics suggest they at least invite uh, deserve an invite to Dayton. Uh, but they're playing this 500 game that they've been, they will be playing all year. And, you know, they're one home loss away, I think, from being out for me. So um, they're going to have to continue to, to stay up. Those last two losses really hurt them a lot, in my opinion. And then, you know, Andy covered it well with USC. I think when you look at Mississippi State, it's a similar problem to, to uh, West Virginia. A little bit different. Um, Mississippi State played nine Q4 games. And you can largely ignore those. And we take the rest, they're eight and nine, Jim. And so um, you look at their 14 hardest games, they're five and nine. And that's uh, when you compare it to the rest of the bubble, most of those teams are either near 500, over 500. Um, that's not even close to 500. So uh, you like the win at Arkansas. Uh, but again, Arkansas right now is like an eight or nine seed. So it's not like they beat a team at the top of the bracket. And a neutral win over Marquette is certainly – uh, the strongest thing I think they have for them based on Marquette's success. Um, and then two more home wins over TCU and Mizzou that are registering as tournament caliber wins. So the quantity of four is really good. The seven and five road record is awesome. Um, the only questionable loss, in my opinion, is the loss at Georgia, but Georgia's been at least decent. Uh, so I don't really have a problem with the rest of the resume. It's, it's really just that uh, they're kind of a losing team and out of the, their opportunities they've had. Yep. But they're, hey, you they're going to Dayton, so that's good enough. Yeah, you mentioned West Virginia's metrics. Uh, they got blown out twice last week, but they they turned the Baylor loss into a 12-point loss instead of letting it be a second 30-point loss. And like that sneaky matters because they're very reliant on those metrics backing up that shaky win profile. Right. right before before we go to our, our last, or excuse me, first four out, we're going to get a message from our overlord, Mr. Rob Douster here, uh, and a little interlude. Let me tell you guys about our sponsor for today's episode, Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 a few weeks back. When we get in the middle of college hoop season, it can be hard for me to eat and drink as healthy as I probably should be, especially in late February and March when the schedule gets really busy. But I found that I've felt better as I've made AG1 a part of my daily routine. I take AG1 in the afternoons after the coffee is worn off and once the itis post-launch is kind of set in. And what I've found, my energy levels are up. It's improved my digestion. And as a result, I'm not only more efficient and productive in the most important time of the year for me and for the field of 68, but I'm working out more consistently. I just feel better. AG1 is so much more than just a greens powder. It's comprehensive health and the power of habit in one. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally could not be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of the AG1 formula with water, and I drink it every single afternoon. Done. Just like that. I also like that it only costs $3 a day. The price is right. 
If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is the answer. They are giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Free! Just go to athleticgreens.com backslash field 68. That's athleticgreens.com backslash field 68. The link is in the description below. Check it out. Support the field of 68 and feel better about yourself. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, thanks, Rob. We appreciate it. Always love to get a little Mr. Douster here on the coverage. Let's talk first four out, guys. As I mentioned, it's the same for both of you and consensus, so we don't have to do a whole lot of parsing between the differences. Let's get those four up there right now. North Carolina, Clemson, Charleston, and New Mexico. The states of Carolina, the two Carolinas, are feeling very persecuted here with two, or excuse me, three teams in that mix, and New Mexico falling fast. Andy, I'll go to you first. Is there a team here that jumps out at you as, you know, maybe you, you wanted to put them in or you were closer to putting them in? Uh, kind of take this in any direction you want to with this consensus first four out. Yeah, for me, Carolina was the one that I came the closest to putting in uh, with where they are. It just, but then you start looking at it and there are only two wins against anybody even in the vicinity. Uh, I guess theoretically, if you throw that Charles, you know, the Charleston went in, I guess if you, if you want to look at the positive for them, they've beaten uh, two of the other three teams on the screen, albeit both of them at home um, in, in Charleston and Clemson. So that's helpful, uh, I guess, for head-to-head bubble purposes. But uh, it's also, you know, games that were played in Chapel Hill. So uh, you can't read quite as much into that. Uh, the quality metrics for them are pretty good. The resume metrics are, you know, average out to 47. But you look at that quad one, you're 0 and 9. Uh, and and that's tough to overcome, even with the 7 and 1 mark in, in Q2. They don't really have what you would call a bad loss. Um, they got swept by Pitt, lost at Virginia Tech, who, who's fallen off a little bit, lost at Wake, who's you know kind of hovering around that 75 mark in the net. Uh, just no real huge win to hang your hat on. And best road win came at Syracuse. The two neutral court wins they have are against Ohio State and Michigan, which aren't aging particularly well. Just uh, Just becomes difficult to really talk yourself into them when you look at their top end wins compared to the top end wins for others around the bubble. Now they do go to NC state this weekend. Uh, That would give them a chance to get a sweep there, but their other road games are at Notre Dame and at Florida state, which help your overall road record. And if they win all three of their road games would get them to eight and eight road neutral. But those are really games you can't afford to lose. Anyway, the home games are incredibly important with Virginia and Duke though. So lots of potential movement for the Tar Heels as you go down the stretch. 
Rocco, can we, is there a chance that Charleston just gets there because they have 30 wins? Does that, is that pop on the team sheet enough to get them in? What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, it, we don't have the data on something like Charleston quite yet. Um, you know, I went back and looked at Drake in 2021, who did get a Dayton invite, uh, totally different. They, Loyola Chicago was a top 10 team in the net that year, and they got, they got them once. Um, you know, we're looking at a Charleston profile, Jim where their best win is still in quad 2B. It's not even in the upper half of quad 2. Um, we know Kent State and Virginia Tech for Charleston's caliber are great wins. Both happen in their backyard. Best road win is against number 133, UNCW. Uh, Towson's in that same range. Uh, great wins, tough places to win, places that most of the teams are compared with aren't even willing to play at. Uh, so for me, I give them a ton of credit. But I think, unfortunately, the, the empty calories are just uh, dooming the Cougars right now. Um, I think the best case scenario is keep winning, keep rooting for the rest of the bubble to fall. That's how they've creeped back into the first four out. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that would be really fascinating is if the committee actually used the result based metric of SOR uh, to select the team, because Charleston's pretty strong there. You know, the cut line for me, when we go from end of the bubble to teams out or into the auto bids is between 46 and 47, Jim. And right now, Charleston's 42nd. Uh, so that would tell you just from that one metric alone that they belong. Um, so again, this is a committee of 12 people coming to a consensus decision, much like our expert bracketologists here on field of 68 come to a consensus between four of us. Um, there is a scenario there where I can see them agreeing to put them in Dayton. So since it is a humanly, a, a human process, not a computer process, they absolutely are in the mix. I, I always just hearken back to 2012 Iona. It's like, there's always hope. They they did it once. They threw this, this mid-major <laughs> team a bone. They didn't do it for North Texas last year, but man, it, it's, I guess me. it's happened. <laughs> I still don't <laughs> fully understand that. The at-large teams at a 14 seed was bizarre. It, it was just a strange, strange. That was because of, um, actually, Jim, that was because of BYU, not to not to harp on that, but BYU. Oh, not, okay. Not okay. being able to play Sunday, they had to move them all the way to 14. They couldn't be a 12 or a 13. Oh, I, I never knew that. See, you'll learn something new here on the on Fielding 68. I appreciate it. No problem. Uh, all right. What else should we get to? Let's talk a couple of teams uh, maybe that are drifting or surging. I want to start with Rutgers because they are now 0-3 since losing Maywat Mag to a torn ACL. They are certainly falling down the seed lines. Andy, how much do you look at them as, as a new team since the Mag injury? And does that, I mean, I, do they have a risk of falling out of the field at this stage? I don't think they have a risk of falling out of the field. I do think there's a little bit of an adjustment period and you kind of figure out how or if they're able to overcome uh, that loss. I think uh, not to harken back to IU again, but they really struggled in the immediate aftermath of the Xavier Johnson injury when, when the competition ratcheted up a little bit. And that was the worst stretch of basketball they played all season. Were able to right the ship and, and turn themselves into a team that was able to figure out how to play without him. So I think, you know, I don't know how the committee handles that, to Rocco's point, how how humans sit there and try to figure that out and get inside <laughs> the minds of, you know, 18 to 22 or or older these days, um, you know, college kids and how they're handling some of these situations. Um, but I do think there's not a true grace period. I mean, they're they're going to fall from a seating perspective as you, as you go there. But I do think it'll be interesting to figure that out. You know, the big, biggest thing for them right now, uh, the quality metrics are pretty good. What what really hurts them is their two and seven road neutral games. And, it, you know, one of those, you know, the, the two are really good. They won at Purdue, they won at Northwestern. Um, and so 
you know, that's what you yeah. like as you, as you look at it there. So it's it's one of those that's a little bit odd where they haven't performed well in the aggregate away from home. But if you look at those games, uh, it's really pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, they do have two Q3 losses. That doesn't help. Seven of their wins, seven of their 16 wins are in Q4. So as we go into some of the things that Rocco talked about, even with the West Virginia, let's say just the volume of losses starts to hurt uh, and, and you're, you know, under or right around 500 against the top three quadrants, which isn't a great place to be, despite the fact that they've got, uh, you know, they're eight and eight in, in quads one and two. All right, Rocco, how about FAU? Another team I think that's worth discussing right now, having just lost at Middle Tennessee. Are the Owls still comfortable or are they going to be swept? Yeah, I think as it stands today, they would still uh, be, be pretty safely in. I still have them in my in safely category. Um, I think, you know, for me, I was I had them creeping into the seven line before that game. Uh, they've fallen in, into the nine range right now. Uh, could potentially be a 10. I think a couple of us have them as a 10. Uh, but the the overall body of work, you know, they've got two quad one wins that they're hanging on to the North Texas wins actually better than Florida right now, which is, which is pretty interesting. Um, but they've, they've had five, um, six total road games in the top two quadrants, which is a decent amount of data uh, when compared to the rest of the bubble, they're three and three in those games. And I already mentioned a bunch of teams on the bubble earlier that not even close to 500 in that same category. Uh, and the Owls obviously won every other game besides those three. Uh, and that speaks volumes. I think in that, in that resume metric I talked about, and the KPI, which are both on the t- team sheet, they're 23rd. And here's the kicker, Jim. You don't see this very often. Their net of 22 is higher than any of their listed metrics. Um, so that doesn't happen very often. Usually the net's somewhere balanced in there. But uh, the net likes them more than anybody. Um, and when you have a team like FAU coming from a different you know, part of the world in Conference USA, uh, that, that might actually mean a little bit more than it usually does. So the, the net is going to be on a banner in Boca Raton. They're going to raise it up there in the rafters. They, <laughs> For today. We'll see what happens yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. All right. One more team I want to ask about, and it's because they just suffered or, or possibly have suffered a, a big injury, and that's Memphis, Andy. They are down close-ish towards the cut line. They're, they're still safe. They're not anybody's last four in. But they've got Houston two more times, potentially a third in the American tournament, though, if they beat them there, they might get the auto bid. How badly does Memphis need one of these wins against Houston, especially with now Kendrick Davis hobbled, having left the last game in a boot and on crutches? How important is it for Memphis to to get a win over Houston? Well, it feels like based on you know him leaving that way, they probably, you know, you're probably chalking up the game this weekend at Houston as a loss regardless. So you rest him. And, and C, depending upon the severity of the injury, which I have not really had time to look into too much today, uh, nor have they probably released any uh, meaningful information. <laughs> no, even no. If, so as, as, as a better, no, that stuff never comes out. As any, yeah, I would say as, as any college team would do, they will reveal absolutely nothing. Um, you know, I think for them, it, 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 that's not a game you expected to win anyway. You, you probably just, it seems like he's going to sit regardless. Let him, let him go there. Then you've got at Wichita State, Cincinnati at home, at SMU, and then that Houston home game. The, the Houston home game is really the one you circle. If you could find a way to you know lose, uh, lose on Sunday, win the other three, dependent upon what his situation is. If he comes back and you're able to win that game, I think you feel okay. Uh, the the challenge with them is that you know a lot of uh, the 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 quality metrics are decent. The resume metrics are actually 
Uh, they're 26 in, in both of those. But when you really look at who they've beaten, you've got Auburn on a neutral floor and Texas A&M at home. And that's kind of it. They won at Cincinnati. They won at Vanderbilt. Um, so that helps. And the challenge with them is you look down their list of losses and really outside of losing at Alabama, all of them came to teams that aren't going to be in the field. So uh, th that's where their difficulty is, is they they don't have a ton of big wins. They've lost to a bunch of teams that are not tournament caliber teams. And so if you come up empty and your two chances to beat the top dog in your conference, it gets pretty dicey going into the, the AAC tournament. Yep. And this feels like an annual tradition at this point, like Memphis, can they get the Houston win they need? It, it, it's been kind yeah. of a recurring theme last. I feel like the years. American, if they could, would just push those games to be like a home and home for the last two games of the regular season. I feel like they just <laughs> keep pushing them further back and further back and closer together as you go through from year to year. Yeah, potentially helping Memphis there. I think that's the idea, maybe. Get a second team in there. All right, let's go to uh, some chat questions here. Wrap it up. Uh, last, you know, five or so minutes, get some questions from the chat. Producer Dagan is going to step in and deliver those to us here. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Um, chat, if you if you want a question answered, drop it in there. We had a few from earlier in the show. One that I think is pretty interesting is UConn Marquette. We obviously have them both on the three line um, right now. And kind of where do you guys see like the difference in their resumes? I know someone was interested in that. Obviously, the kind of different looks to them um, in terms of how they look. So, what are your thoughts on, on those two teams? Yeah, yeah but go ahead, Rocco, because you summed this up well. I think we were talking before the show, so have at it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and I, I, it's a great question because right now Marquette's my last three, UConn's my best four. Uh, for for me right now, you know Marquette just slightly uh, when you go record uh, breakdown by breakdown. Um, a nine and six record against top two versus eight and six for UConn. Uh, UConn obviously took that loss to St. John's, which gives them an additional loss in the third column. Um, and then as you go to the the most important away games in my book, and I think the committee looks at this really closely, uh, games in the top two quadrants on the road, both of them are under 500, but Marquette's three and four, UConn is two and five. And you add in that loss to St. John's at home, Marquette doesn't have a bad loss at all. And uh, the, the resume metrics also say Marquette clearly is the answer. Obviously, the quality metrics love UConn uh, coming in at an average of six and a third right now. But but again, it's really close because UConn has the wins over Alabama and Iowa State away from home. Marquette doesn't even have a win away from home against the tournament team yet. So uh, and they each have five against the field. So a lot of these other areas are very close, even favoring UConn. Uh, but I just think. Um, one of the extra things I it will be in my blog post tomorrow, check that out. But, um, you know, when we actually get to a selection process and the, the tournaments are over or we, we have an actual regular season champion, Marquette is, is today's representative as the Big East regular season champion. And I think that would be an easy way to kind of break a tie as well, uh, help, helping the Golden Eagles. Yeah, definitely matters. Uh, real quick, I just saw this one. Dang, I'm going to jump it in because I think it should be a quick yeah, answer. You're good. Um, how does the one seed location work for a rep or does a rep from the team tell the committee or is it strictly geographic? I, I think I know the answer, but I'll defer to either of you. Yeah. So I can take that one, Jim. Um, so in the, in the most recent years, the year that Virginia was number one overall, I think it was the year they lost to UMBC. That it had to have been, um, they changed it to where the number one overall seed gets to pick where they want to go. So they actually will call like the AD or somebody and they actually get a pick, but usually that is going to be the most geographically friendly, of course. So it doesn't really change much. Uh, as far as I know, once you get to the second team, 
uh, the second number one team, it's all done uh, the traditional way. Okay. So not that really. My, a, that was my understanding I, as well. Yeah. I think that was a fairly recent change within the last, yep. I don't know, six years or so. I feel like they started doing, even asking the, the first one. Usually it's pretty obvious, so you don't really need to, but there's a couple of times where they're not yeah. a huge difference and, and maybe there's a preference there. I still have a dream of a bracket draft. It would take too long, <laughs> but get, you know, committee release, releases one through 68 and everybody gets to pick their spot in the field. So you could dodge matchups or, or pick your geography. It would be fun, but it would be a lot. Uh, Dagan, what else do we have? Um, well, I'm going to ask one out of my own personal preference because we all know I'm a Seton Hall guy around here. Um, obviously, I know they're on the bubble. What do the Pirates need to do in the last four games to get themselves into the tournament? Is it three and one? Where does two and two put them? Kind of where, where do they sit? Andy, what yeah. do you think on the Pirates? Yeah, they, I mean, the good news for them is they have as you know, three of those four games are huge opportunities. They go to UConn and to Providence, and then they host Xavier and, and Villanova. Uh, so for me, I think you got to win a minimum of two of those to, to really give yourself a, a shot. Uh, I think three and one would make you feel pretty good. And I think that assumes a, a Villanova win, although they've been playing uh, better of late since Jim tried to plant the seed of them uh, playing their way back into the, <laughs> the tournament. Uh, and, it, and it's almost, it, I, I won't say it's working, but it's at least, uh, it's at least, you know, moved closer in that direction. So, um, you know, for them, they've got the UConn win already. They won at Rutgers. They beat Memphis uh, on a neutral floor. So, you know, those things are helpful. It's really just getting to be a volume of wins at this point. They're 15 and 11 overall so if you take too many losses during that stretch if you go two and two then you're 17 and 13 entering the the big east tournament and, and what do you need to do there so yeah. it feels like three and one would make you feel on the safe side two and two if you got you know villanova and you picked off one of those road games uh, i think it's important for one of the wins to be one of the road games because i think that would carry a little bit of extra weight as well I'll All right, that. Dagan, so I'll that's take satisfactory. That. Yeah, right, I'll good, take that. Good, I'll good. take that. I'll take that. Listen, I'm going to be honest. I didn't think we were going to even be in this position at the beginning of the year, so I'm happy as it is. Um, another team on the outside looking in that needs some wins down the stretch, Arizona State. Do they need to sweep their final three games to be in? Yeah, yeah I think last night. Yeah. tough, tough ahead, loss. Tough. Yeah, the, the games are so extreme for Arizona State at the end. They're at uh, their rival Arizona next weekend. Then they close at the L.A. schools. Um, you know, obviously, if you beat the two big dogs on the road, that changes everything. Um, if you beat one of them, you're, you're getting interesting again. Uh, right now, they're, they're less interesting because brutal loss last night. They were already on the outside. Uh, but you get an elite road win. Um, it, it really, especially a bubble team, it really starts to change things. They've got some other nice things they did, which is why they were in the picture before. Um, you know, the Creighton win, albeit without Kalkbrenner there. Um, matters quite a bit. And as Creighton plays better, that's only going to get better. So um, all you can ask for if you're a team like Arizona State or Seton Hall or any of these teams, Wake Forest, I'll throw in there, who has some big games coming up. Um, all you can ask for is opportunity and they're going to have them. So, um, you know, I tell, I tell a lot of people this, especially here in February, uh, in the beginning and middle of February, 85% um, of the teams we discuss, they're going to clearly play their way in or clearly play their way out. And they're going to make jobs of Andy and I a lot easier easier we're gonna be down to like three or four teams that we're debating and it won't be a cluster of 15 anymore yeah that always becomes fun selection sunday it really does become a game of like four to five teams for two to three spots or whatever it is yeah uh, what, what else Dagan? let's maybe do two two more two more uh if i can find two more uh, there's a few um further back that i'm probably not gonna be able to see now so um i'm gonna ask one of my own i know you guys kind of already talked about northwestern moving up 
Um, is there like another team you could see kind of in a similar boat to Northwestern and making like a big jump from like in what last week they were about a 10 seed. Now all of a sudden they're up at a six. Yeah. Looking at like, like Rocco said, Northwestern 10 Q1 wins. So maybe somebody that's got the profile where certain metrics play up better. Um, excuse me, uh, 10 Q1 and Q2 wins. Thank you for the correction, Rocco. Eight, eight Q1 wins. <laughs> still um, nice. Yeah. It's still nice. Yeah. It, it, any other teams jump out? Andy is like, maybe they've got really strong particular set of, of metrics that could uh, play up for the committee. Um, you know, Michigan state's a little bit interesting. They're kind of hovering a little bit around where Northwestern was a couple weeks ago. They've got uh, at Michigan, IU at home at Iowa, uh, their next three. I mean, if you win those three, um, I think that's a, a chance for them to, to springboard a little bit. I, I'll be honest and say I haven't looked a ton at the schedules of all these teams kind of in that uh, in that general range to know uh, who they may have, because that's really what it is. Yeah. You know, Northwestern happens to get, uh, you know, a good a good sequence of games. They play really well and and work their way up with being able to get a couple really good, uh, really good home wins against Purdue and IU. So it, yeah. It's a lot of that schedule base where you can really move the needle there, but Michigan State's one I'd throw out if they can get um, get hot in that stretch, uh, and maybe they they push up a little bit. They're kind of odd right now in that they're you know just sixteen and nine, but the uh, resume metrics are pretty good. The quality metrics are uh, are decent, so I think there's maybe a chance they could give a little bit of a push. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add I'll add to that. I think the easiest way to, to I don't know the schedule by heart either, but it, the easiest way to look at that is. You go back to the very top of the board, see who's playing, who Alabama plays at home. Oh, look, they have Arkansas and Auburn coming to town. If Arkansas or Auburn can go into Coleman and be the first team to win there, all of a sudden they're going to go from eight, nine seed pretty high. It's going to at least vault them a seed line, maybe multiple, because uh, that'll be the best win you can get anywhere in the country at this point in time. Um, then you look at Kansas. Uh, the number two team, they get a home game against a bubble team, West Virginia. If West Virginia gets that win somehow, that also takes them not only safely into the field, but their seed will skyrocket because they already have good metrics. So I would say those three just right off the top of the board, Arkansas, Auburn, West Virginia are the teams to look for if any three of those three can pull it off. Love that. Uh, one more, Dagan. Yes. We'll, we'll give them some games to watch and be on our way. Yep, last one here. This one could make you guys think a little bit, so I like that to end the show. Uh, Brady wants to know how many non-automatic mid-majors could be in the field. Not including the Mountain West, obviously. Not including, you know, anybody that get those. So, as of right now, Florida Atlantic would be one. And I don't know how people feel about St. Mary's. But that could that could technically be one if people are, you know, sitting there like that. Uh, but obviously, yeah, Charleston man. in the first yeah, four out. Uh, yeah, pretty much got no chance right now. North Texas, I know, <laughs> is creeping up some people's boards as well. So, how many do you think could get there at the end? The end? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it would it would take quite a few breaks for anybody outside of Florida Atlantic to get in unless we're counting the WCC um, uh, to be, to be quite honest, um, just history has told us that it's really, really difficult for those teams to get through as an at large, especially if we don't know uh, at this point, you know, uh, if you have a Q, uh, a top Q one, a, and some good wins like Florida Atlantic does, then sure. We'd feel good about more, but uh, you look at Oral Roberts um, that, you know, they had four big opportunities. They swung and missed four times, dominated their league. Sad story if they lose that tournament uh, for their sake. I hope they win it. Uh, but uh, you look at Kent State, who also had three heavyweight fights with Houston, Gonzaga, and uh, just couldn't couldn't get over the hump. Played so awesome in those games. Then they take a home loss to NIU uh, in, in league play. Um, so, yeah, Kent State just a little too far behind to get back. 
Um, I look at a Utah Valley who's had a couple of awesome road wins. Uh, they've also lost at home in league, so they're out of it. And then North Texas, I think, is the strongest case. They, they're slowly growing with age, um, but I still think they would need a Florida Atlantic win in the way the Conference USA tournament's going to uh, bracket. They're not going to play till the finals anyway. And uh, if they're in the finals and they win it, they're, they're in as the auto bid. So that scenario didn't really work out for North Texas. They could get another UAB win in the semifinals. And if they are going to win the rest of their games, I, I, I do think North Texas is, is our, our strongest hope. I was hoping Southern Miss might have a chance, but they got I'm sorry, destroyed. Yeah. Southern Miss got destroyed last night at South Alabama, and I think that. Yeah, I think they yeah. would have maybe had a chance to kind of play their way there, but yeah, losing the by as many as they did to them definitely didn't help any of their their metrics. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would agree with Rocco. Florida Atlantic's really the one who, at this point, you feel relatively safe about. Everybody else has kind of like we talked about with Charleston. You need a lot of you got to keep winning, and you need a lot of help because yes, you're no win that you really get is going to cause you to leapfrog somebody in front of you. It's really them losing enough games to come back to you and, and fall behind you as opposed to you really giving yourself a chance to, to put yourself ahead. Yep. Well said. All yes. right. Let's close it out with some games to watch here heading into the weekend. Rocco, you put together a nice little list here, so I'll kick it to you uh, and see what you got for us. Yeah. So Jim, we'll start it off with Tennessee at Kentucky. Uh, obviously Kentucky won at Tennessee. They're one of Andy's last four in, so clearly close to the bubble still. And uh, I think Kentucky sweeps Tennessee, uh, you know, for unless something earth-shattering happens um, and they lose out. I think that might stamp Kentucky's ticket. So big game for Big Blue Nation out on top of uh, the national spotlight. Obviously, the bracket reveal will be before that game, so it's a great place to start. Um, North Carolina at NC State, critical. Uh, North Carolina, well-documented, now 0-9 in Q1 games. Their only win against a team in the tournament is NC State themselves. So sweeping them, you know, isn't as good as maybe getting a, another mixed win against a, a stronger ACC team. But it will check the box of getting uh, a road win against a team in the field uh, and subsequently might put NC State more in extreme trouble uh, for themselves. So that's a very fascinating game. Coming to you on Sunday. Uh, the rest of these will be Saturday. Um uh, Memphis at Houston, we've talked about. Another another one is Nevada, who we've had safely in, uh, done good work. Might not be too hurt if they lose on the road at Utah State, but a game, obviously, Utah State has to win to get back into the picture. Uh, critical one. Um, we have the list there. I don't know, Andy, if you want to read any of these or I can keep going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I the, the ones that I had written out, I had some of the same ones. You obviously have Baylor and, and Kansas. Uh, I think right. Kansas wins that. You know, maybe they start to push Alabama a little bit for number one overall the next time around as you go through that. And if Baylor wins, uh, you know, they're they've really put together a solid resume on they're on the two line for us. Could um, you know certainly make a case if if to get themselves to the one line as well if they're able to win that. And then um, you know, Texas A&M and Missouri, Texas A&M, I think getting a little bit safer. Uh, as they go through, yeah. but an important game in the SEC if they can get another road win there would uh, bolster their case. Uh, a little bit in Texas Tech, West Virginia at West Virginia. Um, I, it feels like Texas Tech should have a long way to go to really get back in the conversation based on the way that they played uh, that they really have to probably win out. Um, but yeah. we talked a little bit about West Virginia struggles uh, earlier. That becomes a really important game for both teams uh, as well as you're you know, kind of looking at looking at ones that really matter for everybody uh, involved. I, I think that's another one that stood out to me. Yeah. Speaking yep. of long way to go, it's a long ways from Lubbock to Morgantown. That's an extreme <laughs> conference game. Uh, but, yeah, Wake Forest and uh, Miami, I also want to call out, 
hinted at Wake Forest earlier. It all comes down to this for the Deeks. Um, you know, if they can get that road Miami win, obviously the toughest game they have left. They also get a road NC State game uh, next week. So it all comes down to that for the Deeks. If they can get at least this one, they're back in the picture for sure. If they get them both, they're probably in. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. It's a team I like a lot. We'll see if they can uh, meet the moment in Coral Gables tomorrow. Be a big one. Yep. Yep. Like you said, all you can ask for is opportunities at that, at that point, uh, if you're outside the field, uh, unlike those mid-major teams that are hoping and are crossing their fingers and waiting, (laughs) but that wraps it up for today's Friday episode of fielding the 68, the top 16 reveal. Make sure you're tuned in tomorrow to see that actual top 16. Hopefully our, our bracketologists were flawless, got it team for team down to the, the, the region and everything. Uh, But we'll see, we'll be intrigued to see what the, uh, the actual committee spits out there. We'll be back again on Monday, same time, 5 p.m. Eastern, talking through the ramifications of the actual reveal and getting back into the bubble, the results of the weekend. Thank you to Andy. Thank you to Rocco for your time, your insight. We always learn a lot with you guys on the show. Digging behind the scenes, cheers to you. And, of course, Bet Rivers, our sponsor. Thank you very much. We'll see you guys on Monday for more. Fielding. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.